So uh, we're talking about uh, the righteousness of God and what it means to be right and, and how we become right with the Lord. And uh, this subject is, uh, I, I don't want to say that it's a tough subject because it's really not. It's really, it's really easy. It's very easy, easy to understand. It's, it's written in plain English, the New King James, King James. NLT, NIV, it's there uh, plainly just says that we're made right with God and it's not based on what we do but what, what he has done for us. And uh, just to give you a little history about me, Miguel, uh, I, I, I come up in somewhat of a legalistic background, meaning that everything, uh, everything in relation to God is all about law and rightness and absolute behavior written, you know, in stone, very sharp, black and white, you know, the do's and don'ts. And that that is what uh, uh, God looked at. And it was like the scale in which he judged me. So I come from that. And I, I believe when that was really introduced in my life that it had, uh, you know, good intent. Because, I mean, just when you think about the subject of God, just, just God, we think about, you know, a supreme being, who he is. He is supreme. He's all-knowing. He's in all places. He sees all things, both the good and the evil. God knows everything. And when you think about just God, we think about being servants, right? We think about being God's servants. And uh, uh, I, I believe that is what causes us to, of course, as we should obey God, but I believe that's the thing that that, that that mindset is what causes us to think that that is what our relationship is based on. But he says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. We even seen the new co covenant that we're being, we can call him father. There's a difference between saying God and saying father, right? I have a different understanding when, when, when I say I'm about to meet God and I'm about to meet my father. And I understand how this plays when, when we see the difference in, of fathers in our lives. The Bible said, you know, that he is a better father than our fathers. Pastor John mentioned earlier that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Right? When we talk about boldness in the Bible, the boldness is not about... Yes, it is, it is about going out and telling people about Christ, but when we talk about boldness, it's actually the boldness to come to God, the boldness to stand before him. And coming from a legalistic background, I wanted to get it right. Be right with God. But that rightness, I believe, was or was based on the wrong terms. So, you know, the Bible says imitate Christ. Be just like Christ. Live like Christ, right? I took that to the T. I took that literally. I took that to the 1977 Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> and, you know, this was my teenage years. Really wanted to dedicate myself to God. Uh, really wanted to live for God. Telling myself over and over and over that I'm going to read my Bible, read my Bible, read my Bible, and never do it. And so being introduced and finding someone to really teach this to me, I'm wanting to be like Jesus. And the only example I had was this movie. And I tried to be Jesus. <laughs> I was meek and humble. I walked around, you know, quiet-toned and every, every image that I saw of what Jesus would be. And I was weird. 
I was, I, I was weird. When I look back, I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed telling y'all this, but yeah, I was, a little, I was weird because I took it literally. I wanted to be just like Jesus. So much so, so much so, this is, I'm going there, so much so that I was, our school, Central High School of West Helena, uh, ours, we had this hill, so the 11th, 12th graders were on the top of the hill, the classrooms, and the 9th and 10th graders were on the bottom of the hill, you know, you know pushing that ideal of underclassmen. And uh, this hill is where <laughs> I started my own Sermon on the Mount. I did. Our 20-year class reunion, you know, some mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> Me preaching on the hill. Because I thought, you know, after my 40 days of fasting and being tempted of the devil, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> that I would come out here and really be like Jesus. Taking it even further, trying to get people to come to Christ and maybe, you know, be a disciple of the Lord. It's weird, it's weird. Let it sink in. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. But I was, I was trying my best to be holy, to be like God, the only image I had. And when we look, th this crowd, when we look through scripture, we read the Bible to try to find out more about us, right? What is sin? What is wrong? What should we do? What should we not do? which was predominantly it. What should we not do? Let's look through this word and find everything we're not supposed to do because that is what's going to please God. We want to live a life that is pleasing unto the Father. And so in doing that, you know, when you look at Scripture, the, the Bible lets us know that the law was designed to frustrate you. The law was there to let you know how far away you were from God. It was to show you the distance. It was to show you the damage that Adam did. It wasn't there to tell you that this is the requirement. It was to show you how, how, how badly it was messed up. Because the more you try to do it, the more you mess it up. The more you try to obey it, the more you find that you can't. And then what we do, and what the word says, we establish our own righteousness. What does that mean? It means that, uh, you know, I see what God says. I see what's in the scripture. But, you know, that's kind of hard, and, and maybe he didn't really, really mean that. So you kind of add your own little twist to it. You kind of change it and make it so it'll fit your life, or it'll fit your culture, or it'll fit your ethnicity, or it'll fit whatever. You know, that's, that, that's unique about you. So that, okay, he really doesn't mean that we shouldn't do this. We love each other so we can still do that, you know. And you kind of change the word to fit your life. You can establish your own righteousness so that you, within yourself, feel holy. You can kind of change it up. You can fix it. <laughs> hey, you sound just like Jim. Well, Jimmy sounds like you. <laughs> oh, what's that, Jimmy? <laughs> Jimmy, yeah, yeah, right, okay, okay. So, so establishing our own righteousness got real weird, man. <laughs> to the point that, uh, you know, we, we, we were told, hey, 
men and women, you know, shouldn't show their bodies. You know, no part of your body should be shown other than your mate, someone who you would marry. That means, you know, your arms and your legs. So I was a turtleneck wearing, long sleeve, 90 degree person. It's getting weird. Come on. <laughs> no. And the women, not cutting, cutting the hair, the, 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 what, what do women call that? Split ends, wearing dresses uh, all the time, maybe stockings. Men are hot in the summer, women are freezing in the winter. We're doing various things to be holy. And we're taking things to an extreme. But that is the thing that affects us when we don't accept what is sin is sin. If God says it is sin, it is sin. I can't take that sin, as I aforementioned, take that sin and water it down and make it fit my life. If he said it's wrong, I have to accept that it's wrong. The more I try to, more I try to change it, what am I doing? I am establishing my own righteousness. Let's look at Romans 10 and 3. Romans 10 and 3. I believe this is New Living. Uh, New Living and King James. Let's read King James first. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Refusing to accept the way that God would make you right, you go out and cling and, uh, to this new standard that you produce. If you don't understand what it means to be righteous, you will go out and establish your own thing. And I, I believe the reason we do that, it, it, in the mind, when a person doesn't understand righteousness, let me say, <clears throat> you don't want to accept it because if you accept it, it's hard. The more I go through the word, I go through the scripture, I see on and on that it's hard for me to match that standard. There is a gulf between me and the Lord, and I can't reach him. And every time I take a step forward, I end up taking a step back. Paul talked about that struggle in Romans 7. Every time I try to do right, evil is always present. Every time I try to get right with God, every time I make a step that I believe is pleasing, then I find myself in some other way failing. And, you know, once we even got to the place where we were, we were satisfied and we were good and holy and we got it together, we don't realize now we're walking in pride. establishing your own righteousness in a, instead of understanding that he's made you right. So there's this gulf. And the reason we have the law is to show us the distance and we can't jump it. We can't swim it. It's too far. We need a savior. Amen. The distance is there. The law is there to let us know that we are in need of a savior. Sin is sin. Don't try to water it down. Don't try to change it. Don't try to make it fit anything. Just accept if God said it's wrong, it's wrong. 
if he did. And, 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 and then from that place, understand, I, I want you to understand, that this does not affect your relationship, <clears throat> relationship with him. It does not affect your relationship. This became a big struggle for me and hard for me to hear because I was so used to hearing how much we need to be right. Not knowing that the righteousness is being done on his part. So let's recap. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? None. None. You were a sinner before you were born. When you, when you came from your mother's womb, you were a sinner. Why? Because of Adam. When Adam sinned, that affected all of humanity. When his wife took up the fruit, nothing affected humanity. When Adam took up the fruit, it affected the bloodline, humanity. Everyone born afterward would be a sinner. We said that's because Adam was a type of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he is what? The last Adam. And if the last Adam was, if Adam represented Christ, then we know that the wife, Eve, represented the bride, which is the church. So the church, your, your, your position before God is not based on you, but based on the husband, Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The relationship between Adam and Eve was a type of the relationship between the church and Jesus. Do we get that? Right. We also said, it was Romans 5, and, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, by one man sin entered the world, death reigned by sin, so death passed unto all men. Verse 13 for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed. It was not counted on you, right? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who was the figure of what was to come. Righteousness is imputed to us as believers, meaning it is counted to us. It is placed on your account because of Jesus Christ, right? You don't do anything to get it. Jesus gave it to you. You receive that by faith. You receive that by faith. And by being counted righteous, you can, you can end the work. Uh, let's see. Uh, Colossians. Let's go here real quick. I want us to see this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Colossians 2 and 14. Blotting out, this is uh, New King James, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He's talking about our transgressions, our sins. They were nailed to the cross. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. <clears throat> In crucifixion, often when, when, when a person was crucified and nailed to a cross, they took their crime and place it above the cross, above their head. It was nailed there. But for Jesus, you see in John, the end of John, 
they nail king of the Jews. They were making fun of him. They were mocking him and they were mocking Jews to say that this is your king and your king is being crucified. But Paul says that your sin was nailed above his head. Now, they nailed king of the Jews because they couldn't nail anything else. What else could they nail above him? He was sinless. He was sinless. He was the spotless lamb. There was nothing to say that he had done. They make fun of him by putting king of the Jews above his head. Paul says they put, he put, they put your sin. Your sin was nailed to the cross. Which means everything that you would do, everything you hadn't even done yet, was already imprinted above his head. So think of every little thing that you've ever done and that you've seen done. That was, <clears throat> that was nailed above his head as his crime. He didn't do it. We did it. But Paul says that was nailed above his head, basically saying he's taking on what we did. Our transgressions are being placed above him. He is paying the penalty for our crime. So whether OJ did it or not, we can't go back and try to take that all through a court hearing because he's not guilty. The same with us, our sin, our crime, the punishment has been placed on the cross above Jesus, and so the devil's trying to get you to pay for something that's already been paid for. That's like me trying to sell Jen something and not telling her that Rich has already paid for it, trying to get double for the money. It's already been paid for. That guilt, that condemnation, that ill feeling is an emotion, but that does not determine where you stand with God. How I feel does not determine how right I am. So in the spirit realm, it says adulterer, fornicator, thief, robber, murderer, Luster, but what we see is king of the Jews. Somebody say, I'm covered. When God looks at me, what does he see? He sees the blood. He sees the life of Christ. He sees Jesus. Everything that Jesus accomplished, he took it and credited it to my account and said, it's yours. So I'm going to say, I am the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. That was nailed to the cross. All right, righteousness is not based on how I feel. Righteousness is also right now. I am not waiting to become righteous. I'm not waiting until the sweet by and by. In that sweet by and by, oh. I'm not waiting to become righteous. 
I'm not waiting until I've passed away and I come to the pearly gates and when I walk in that I'll never sin again. The Bible says this in 1 John 4, 17. We read this last week. It says, herein our love made perfect that we may have boldness when? In the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, so are we. Judgment. Judgment. The day of judgment is not about whether I'm getting in or not. You're already there. The Bible said you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You're already there. Spirit, spirit wise, you're already there. I'm not doing anything to become righteous now. I am currently righteous. I am as right as I will ever be. I can get no writer. I can get no writer. <laughs> oh, Clarissa. Mm. <laughs> I wish I could hoop. All right, here we go. Here we go. I would hoop this, man. I would hoop it. I wish, man, I'd pull out every Baptist Kojic pen. Oh, boy, I would hoop this. <laughs> you are righteous, independent of your performance. For by grace, this is Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are righteous independently of, of, uh, of, 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 what did I say? Of your performance. It's not based on your performance. You are righteous. Okay, yeah, let's pull up uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's independent. It's separate from your performance. That means your good and your bad performance. Remember, we said your righteousness is as filthy rags. For by grace are you saved through faith. How am I saved? Say it again. Wait a minute. It is not of yourselves. It's not of myself. This is a gift from God. Go to the next one. Not of works. It's not of my performance. If it was of my performance, what could I do? I could boast. Oh, man. It is not of my performance. So the money I gave doesn't make me righteous. Whether it was to the homeless person, whether it was to the church, whether it's to some charity, that didn't make me righteous. I know some, some people like to about that, but that doesn't make me righteous. But here's where the controversial side comes is I messed up. I did wrong. I said wrong. I cussed somebody out. But it was not by my works that I have become righteous. It is not based on my performance. I do not lose my status with God. You don't get 5% cash back on prayer and 2% on fasting. <laughs> you don't get rewarded for any of that because it's already done. That one went over well. Okay. It's independent of our performance. 
And then listen, you're righteous, and that is independent of your messy life. Because things are bad, because things are messed up, and maybe you are the source, it is independent of the struggles that you're facing in your life. I can't look at you because you have trouble and say that you're not righteous. Watch this. This is Psalms, 30, Psalms 34 and 19. Psalms 34, 19. You know this. Psalms 34, verse 19. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of who? The righteous. The righteous. He says, the sun shines on the just as well as the unjust. And the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. Your status, whether just or unjust, does not keep away trouble. So just because you have some trouble in your life doesn't mean that God is coming after you. God is punishing you. Your punishment was in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took on your punishment. So everybody got trouble. Everybody got problems. I can't prove to you that I'm so blessed because I'm driving a certain vehicle or because I'm not. Everybody has some issue that we're dealing with. So your righteousness is not based on how clean and how perfect your life is. It's not based on that. You're righteous because Jesus made you that way. That's it. Simple as that. It took zero sins to become a sinner. It takes zero works to become righteous. It's all based on your faith in Jesus Christ. How am I doing on time? Because I'm running out. All right. Uh, pull these scriptures. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Coach me. Coach me, Reb. Coach me, Reb. Uh, all right. I'm running out of notes, Reb. I'm going to have to start over. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Let's go to Hebrews 4 and 12. Hebrews 4 and 12. I want you to see this. Hebrews 4 and 12. Jesus is the one who made us righteous. I didn't do anything to get it. It's not my pedigree. It's not who I came from, what family I was born, born in and all that. Nope. Jesus made me righteous. I'm righteous because he says so. Let's look at this. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, dividing up of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is in a, is, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. The word of God, his word, splits up my soul, my spirit, and my flesh. God knows the difference when he deals with us as, as a triune being. I have to look at the word in regards to my soul, my spirit, and my flesh. Right now, I've talked about this before, that I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Spiritually, I have been saved. That is settled. My spirit man is saved. My soul, however, my mind, my intent, my thought, my intellect is being saved. It's being renewed daily. 
and my body, my flesh, which is condemned to the grave, will be resurrected, saved. I have been, I am being, and I will be saved. See, what happened in our spirit, man, was so quick, so much, that our minds are playing catch-up. Romans 12. Romans 12. That's the only thing. We have been saved. Our spirit man is as right as Jesus. That is, that is a declaration. That is something that is established. We're going to Romans 12 and 1. That is, that is a declaration. I am righteous because of Jesus. That's my spirit man. That's my state with God. But, but every position, everything that God uh, 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 changed, translated me into, the Bible says that I am a new creation. I am brand new. I've been made new, right? All of that that happened in me, now my mind has to catch up with it. Look at this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is by memory. I'm not reading this. Which is your reasonable service. <laughs> go, to verse, go to verse 2. Verse 2. And... Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. My spirit man has been saved, and now my soul, my mind, my, I have to catch up. I have to understand what God did in my spirit. But when God deals with me, he, un, he sees the difference between the two. He knows I am who he says I am, but I'm becoming that person. I am who he says I am, but I am becoming that person. So in position, I'm saved. In that position, I'm seated with Christ. In that position, I'm not sick. In that position, I'm not broke. In that position, I'm healthy, but I'm becoming that person. Oh, we can, we, we can take it all the further. In that position, I, 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 you know, I'm faithful. In that position, I'm doing right. In that position, I'm paying what I should pay. In that position, I've got it together. But in my life, I am working that out. And the Bible says that the soul and the spirit, the soul and the flesh, the spirit and the flesh, they war against one another. Because my spirit man says, this is who God says you are. But my flesh says, let's go get our groove on. I know who I'm supposed to be. Oh, it may be coming. I know who I'm supposed to be. But now I'm trying to put that in practice. I am trying to put that in practice. I'm trying to be what he says I am. But I am it. In spirit, I'm it. In my soul, I'm trying to now walk this out. I'm trying to be who he says I am. So that takes a renewing process. It's like you've come out of operation and you don't understand everything about this operation and you don't even care. You just care that the doctor did what he was supposed to do. You don't need a degree. You don't, you don't need to understand medicine or anything whatsoever. You trust him when he tells you to take what you need to take. You do not care. All you care about, am I whole? Anything else he explains to you, your mind is trying to catch up with what he did to your body. 
So you, no, no, you are right with God, but now mentally you have got to conform yourself to what God changed you into. Who is this person? I don't want to go where I used to go. I don't want to say what I used to say. And even when I think about it, there is something in me that keeps pulling me back and telling me not to go that direction. Even when she gave the phone number, even when she called you, even when it was an inbox, a text, there was something in you that just kept pulling you back. Oh. There, there, there is a war between the two. But just because the war is there does not take away the fact I am who he says I am. And even if I did it, I can't live in it. There is something about this war that will not allow me this incorruptible seed that is inside of me that won't let me live in any condition that God says is wrong. Oh, man. I can't continue in it. I may try it, but I can't stay there. There is always this voice. There's always this pull, this tug that's calling me out of sin. So when we talk about shall we continue in sin, of course not. Even if I tried to continue in it. Even if I tried, to, that's, why, that's why certain relationships don't even work out. Because your, your spirit man is telling you no, even though your flesh is saying, come here, come get it. But your spirit man is pulling you away. There is this internal conflict between the soul and the spirit. I'm trying to become in practice who he has already said I am. I am righteous. Praise the Lord. We are righteous. So my spirit man is trying to catch up with what happened in my spirit. Excuse me. My soul is catching up with what happened in my spirit. I am born of God. And I am free from that. But now I have to walk that out. And this is where, this is where we kind of miss it. Because, yes, by grace, nothing you do will stop you from being a child of God. You are his. Pastor Sean said about her children, you won't disown them. God is not going to disown you. He, matter of fact, he says, I hold you in my hand. God's not letting you go. God's holding you in his hand. But it's natural that there is that conflict. Let's go, let's go a little further. Praise the Lord. Say, I am the righteousness of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. I think that was a good place to hoop. I think I missed. I don't know. I was trying. Baby. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm going to stay in my lane. Stay in my lane. Hebrews 9 verse 27. Now Hebrews is a very... Great book when we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us <clears throat> as a priest. 9 verse 27 is where we're going. Hebrews 9 27. I'm using the New Living Translation, the NLT. It says, uh, 
And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to, the, to them who are eagerly awaiting him. Now, Old Testament sacrifice. When you sinned, you had to offer up something. You had to offer a sacrifice. Now, this can get rather expensive. And this to make you think about, hey, I'm committing a sin. I have done something wrong. All right? Uh, the priest would offer a sacrifice yearly. And he would do that for the entire community. The priest had to be right. The priest himself, when he went before God, he had to have his sins already cleansed. He couldn't go into the holies of holies and have sin. He couldn't offer up a sacrifice with his sins exposed. This is a type for Christ. Right? So Jesus, now he would do this every year. The Bible says the reason he do, we, we, this was done is to create a consciousness of sin. But Jesus became that in sacrifice for us. So that when he would go to the cross, he wouldn't have to go back a, a second time or a third time or fourth time. Jesus does not have to go to the cross every time we mess up. He did it once and for all time. That one sacrifice was enough to cover our lives from beginning to end. God knows he knew your beginning and he knows your end. And that sacrifice covered the entire thing. So we don't have to constantly offer God anything else in order to get righteous. Let's go to Hebrews 10, verse 8. Hebrews 10 and 8. Hebrews 10, verse 8. Actually, let's look at verse 14. It says, verse 14, for by that one, this is New Living Translation, for by that one offering he perfected forever all those whom are being made holy. He perfected you forever. So the work of Christ was not a temporary thing. What he did for us was forever. So he doesn't have to redo that. Right? Christ doesn't have to do that again. There's no coming back to redo that. When he comes back, when he comes to deal with you, excuse me, when he comes back to, to, to take the church, he's not coming to deal with sin. He's just coming to get you. It's not coming to deal with sin. We're not about to stand before God and he's going to play out all of our sins on the screen. <laughs> now, these are things that kind of, you know, we, we talk about that to help people. <laughs> oh, man. Sounds like therapy right here. All right. Let it out. Let it out. He's not coming to deal with sin. Because your sins have already been paid for. 
Isn't that a good thing? Yes. Your sins, my sins have already been paid for. There is nothing else that I need to do in order to get right with God. It's a done deal. Let's go to Romans. Romans 5. I want you to see this. A few more. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5 and 1. Now, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, the Bible says, in, in, in uh, chapter 4 of this, this book of Romans. But verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because our faith, uh, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of the high privilege, which is uh, where now we stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We have peace with God. Somebody say peace. peace. I'm not at war with God. He's not at war with me. Bible even says that while we were yet sinner, yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly to reconcile the world. Reconciliation, your bank book, reconciling the, trans, the transactions, bringing a balance for the debt that we owe because of sin. He died for us. That was why you were a sinner. That was before we even came to Christ. We were reconciled. See, the sins of the unbeliever have already been reconciled. You can't, you can't receive that, though. You can't receive that, though. Let's see. If Jesus was standing outside of the bank and all he needed was your bank account number, and he says, I'm going to make a deposit into your account, and, and it would be, like we said last week, it would be enough that you would never have to work again. You still have to come to the bank. You still have to come give him your number. But he says, I've got the money for you. This is for everybody so he reconciled he paid the debt for the unbeliever before you even came but in order to receive that you do have to come you got to go give him the bank account number so he can make the deposit in your account now 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 with that money in your account and there are no worries, I wonder what your behavior would be toward him when you realize that he's done this. See, everything you would do after that is not to achieve something. You are now worry-free. That's why the Bible says, enter into his rest. In, in Hebrews, it talks about that struggle of entering into God's rest. The rest is not death. The rest is, the rest is, I'm not worried. I'm cool. He's got me. I'm relaxed. And then I can boldly come to the throne of grace. You remember that dude on, on, on CNN, if you saw this, where the guy was, uh, 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 he was being interviewed and his child runs into the room on national TV, interrupting daddy. That's what God says you can do to him. Yeah. I got all this stuff I'm playing and balancing and doing, but God says you can boldly, because he's father, you can boldly come into that room with him and interrupt him from everything else that he's doing. You don't have to come weary and saying, whoa, it's me. You don't have to come listing everything that's not good about you. 
Matter of fact, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to come on the basis of Christ and who Jesus says you are. You're supposed to come from your righteousness boldly, chest out before God. I can come boldly to the throne. There is no conflict between us and God. There is peace. Peace. It's settled. I have been counted righteous. It has been imputed to me. It has been placed on my, placed in my account. And everything I do from this point on is based on that position. So now when I witness to people, I don't witness so that I can get righteous. I do it because I am. And I don't give to become righteous. I give because I am. I don't do things because I'm trying to get God to love me more. He loves me today and will love me tomorrow as much as he will ever love me. And when I fail him, and you will, he still loves you just the way you are. Isn't that amazing? When I fail him, he still loves me. Just the way I am. He still allows me to walk into his presence. He still allows me to enter that door and interrupt whatever he's got going on and say, Father. That whole mindset that says we have to come with, whoa, it's me. Oh, God, it's me. Here I am, Jesus. No, 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 no. The wretch undone has been covered. I'm, a re- I'm redone. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint because he says I'm a saint. I am the righteousness of God. He hears your prayers. He hears you when you call. Not because, and see, I think that's the thing that affects our prayer life is when we think that, oh man, he may not hear me when I call him because I haven't been the best that I should. But because I'm standing on the righteousness, and, and Colossians, I believe, is three and three says, My life is hid in Christ. My life is hid. That I can come boldly to this throne of grace and I can ask God. I can cry, Abba, Father, not based on who I am, but because of who he is, because of who Christ is. You don't have to be embarrassed to tell people about him because they may see something in your life. Of course they will. But that is, the, that is showing the, the pure, unadulterated grace of God is that, no, I'm not perfect. And you know I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to get you to see a perfect man who loves even me. All of these accusations from the enemy are to hinder the work of Christ. And that's why we operate on the foundation of grace. I'm as right today as I'll ever be. Matter of fact, I am as right as Jesus Christ. I am as right as Jesus Christ because it's his righteousness on me. And believers allow this to take us forward in our prayer lives, in our testimonies, in our sharing of the gospel. 
and even the way you look at yourself. See yourself as the righteousness of God. Those memories, reflections, and things like that, that's the accuser of the brethren telling you that you're not. But see yourself as the righteousness of God. I dare you to move forward on that premise. And I believe the church would move forward in this world. Father, we thank you today for making us righteous. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. You didn't have to die, but you did. And God, we thank you and we worship you. Will, we, will you take a moment just to worship the Lord right here? Just for all that he's done in your life. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the life you live. Thank you for the righteousness. Thank you for the change that you're doing in me as we move forward with you. God, I pray that this word will rest in everyone's heart on every ear. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.